So I don't do this often. I, I, most of the time when I uh, bring forth God's word, I, I start off with, uh, with some sort of uh, uh, a story, a uh, funny story or a joke of some sort. Uh, but today I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a tale of Phil Chapman, um, maybe of a shameful time in my life. It was back in October of 1990. I was a sophomore in high school, and, and there was, it was a beautiful night, and there was about 10 of us that got together. And we thought that it would be fun uh, to be foolish and go around town, uh, our town of Newark, and to take pumpkins from every home. And so we did. We set out and we, we stole pumpkins from every home that we could locate. It was before the days that I served the Lord and, and we were just up to foolishness. We didn't even know why we were doing it. We, we thought it was fun and exciting. And we gathered dozens and dozens of pumpkins. And we kept storing them back in my house. But then, oh, then we found the gold mine. Uh, of, we found the gold mine of, of this orange berry, this orange fruit that we call a pumpkin. It was a hay rack full of pumpkins, big and small, medium-sized. Oh, yeah. We needed to get those pumpkins. So we brought a pickup truck quietly in the night, and we loaded the pickup truck of almost all the pumpkins that were on the hay rack. We loaded all of our vehicles and just stuffed them full of all the pumpkins, and we drove out of town uh, to a place we call the New Park. And there we smashed all the pumpkins on the road. We didn't know why we were doing this. I mean, what foolishness, what were we doing? We were, we were literally offending people throughout the town and we didn't even know it. We weren't even thinking that we were offending people, that we were being thieves, that we were stealing. And our whole goal was, in the end, it was funny to watch somebody drive into town and have to go over this mound of pumpkins. Well, we never thought about it except for as jokes. Many years later, I gave my life to the Lord, and I found out whose hay rack that was. You see, it was my first grade teacher's house, which I didn't realize. She had three boys. And those boys had worked all summer, working hard in the pumpkin patch to prepare for their great harvest. That was how they made their money, the kids. And I just took it from them. Well, as a believer in Jesus, I, I, I felt horrible. I felt horrible that I did that to them, so I went over and went to their house. And I apologized for what I did and asked for their forgiveness, said I was just a foolish man. I had no idea what I was doing. I am so sorry. I found out what they liked, uh, video games, sports equipment, whatever, and I went and bought them all something. Well, now, many years later, they're, they're family friends, this family. In fact, they're shirt tail relatives, as we call them, through uh, Sherry's brother. A and if I would not have leaned into that situation and confessed it to them and asked for their forgiveness, 
there would have never been a process of restoration between us because she knew, she found out who did it. And I needed to lean into that relationship. We don't know why we did the things, but, but if I wouldn't have leaned into it, we wouldn't be able to deal with it. You see, I dealt with it vertically between God and myself, but I had to deal with it horizontally between me and the other person. And so that's what I did. And last week we started a series in the book of Philemon. It's a small book, but a mighty lesson. It's a mighty lesson for you, but it was a mighty lesson for me. I was extremely convicted as I prepared last week. And, and I know that we've had many conversations at my house just about the message and about Philemon and about forgiveness and about restoration and what that really means. And, and, and maybe, maybe you guys did too. And I hope this week that we're going to be able to drive it a little bit deeper. I want you to feel a little uncomfortable about life situations that maybe you haven't dealt with. Because I know I have. I, I know that Sherry and I have talked about these things frequently. But our, our goal is reflect exactly who Jesus is. We can never get there. But that's our goal is to keep striving towards there, keep seeking scripture to feed us and, and to change us and, and to help us to be more honorable. Because our, our end goal is we want to honor, love, obey, and, and truly worship the king. And that's hard for us to do. So Philemon, he had this box. Now, his box was similar to your box. And maybe some of you weren't here last week, or, or, or maybe you forgot. What we did last week is, is we made a box in our notes. And inside that box, we, we put people that, uh, that we need to forgive. Maybe we've harmed them or they harmed us. Uh, we put people in this, in this box that we need, maybe we're harboring really tough feelings about. And we haven't dealt with them. And I think it's a good idea that we revisit that, that we look at that box and we think about that box. Maybe some of you did deal with that box. You thought about the people that you put in that box, and your box might even be smaller now or less full. I think we need to do that again just to remind ourselves. So what we're going to do is just real quick, and some of you, this is going to be a repeat process make a box on your notes make a box on your notes and, and write some initials or, or abbreviations or, or whatever of somebody that you need to really seek to connect with to restore a relationship because we all have them there, there's always somebody that's out there that, that we need to to seek that restoration Philemon had a box. I don't know who was in his box, but he probably had several people. I do know one of them, though. His name was Onesimus. Onesimus. He stole something. He was very similar to me. He was a thief. I don't think Onesimus stole pumpkins, but he stole something. 
Our puppeteer said he stole $500. Could have been. Could have been a perfume. Could have been a precious, precious items that he was able to sell, barter with. But we know that he ran away from Philemon. We know that the entire story of, of Onesimus, he was the slave and Philemon was the master. Let me review the story real quick in a, in a quick abbreviation just to make sure we're all on the same, same page. Several years before Paul wrote this letter, Philemon, he had walked Philemon to the Lord and, and taught him all about who Jesus was. Philemon opened his home uh, as a church and, and was growing as a trusted follower of Jesus Christ, a leader in the church. And in the meantime, a slave, his name was Onesimus, he, he left. He said, I'm out of here. And in fact, he stole something on his way out. Well, Philemon had no idea. But Onesimus, when he ran into Rome, that's where most slaves fled to because they can hide. When he ran into Rome, somehow God ordained it that he got connected with Paul. And when he got connected with Paul, he found the Lord. Or the Lord found him. And he gave his life to the Lord, and he started serving the Lord. And he started ministering with Paul. And they started loving the Lord together as brothers. And eventually, we don't know when, Philemon, or, uh, Paul realized that Onesimus was the slave of Philemon. And Paul knew both of them then. And so now, this whole letter, the purpose of this letter is to ask that a slave owner, Philemon, that he would not only forgive Onesimus, who is the runaway slave and thief, but to embrace him as a brother in Jesus Christ. That, that their relationship would be reconciled and the relationship would be kin, would be brothers. You see, Paul wants to encourage a slave to go back to his earthly master so he can honor his heavenly master. We're in Philemon. There's only one chapter. Maybe you read it uh, during a, a three-minute break. You can read it. Uh, but uh, to really dig into it, uh, it's, it takes hours. And, and I've spent many, many, many hours studying this book, and I can't believe uh, what the Lord has taught me through that. But we're going to read verses 8 through 16. If you would stand with me as we read uh, these verses, Philemon chapter 1, there's only one chapter, 8 through 16. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man, and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I prefer to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but by your own accord. For this perhaps is why he has parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother especially to me, 
but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. Heavenly Father, Lord, we are thankful for your word. Change us. Change us today. Change us every day to serve you more. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So Paul setting out a pattern for us, a pattern that we could see for restoration. Uh, maybe to connect with a person that has harmed us or to connect with a person that we've harmed. Restoration begins in several ways. First, we act out of love. That's how restoration begins. Verses 9 and 10 talk about those. Yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. Paul, Paul's very clear that love is a huge factor in the restoration process. If we think that we're going to restore a relationship with those around us, we need to remember our love for people. And sometimes we forget that. When, when we became a Christian, we were given an ability by the Holy Spirit to truly love other people. Some of us have that in our general spirit, that that's who we are. We're very friendly and outgoing and, and we care about people. And some of us are kind of grumpy. And, and it seems like we woke up on the other side of the bed. And my challenge to you is, is today that, that you are seeking God to help you to become a person who loves others. If you've been to a wedding, you know 1 Corinthians 13. At least you know some of it. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love, love, love. The end of that chapter uh, says, So now faith, hope, and love abide. These three, but the greatest of these is love. Love is a decision. It's not a feeling. We, we, we decide that we love somebody. We make that decision constantly. Matthew speaks of it in chapter 5. He says, you have, you, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute. Think, just think about that. That doesn't even make sense. That's everything that we're talking about. Onesimus was an enemy to Philemon, potentially. He was a thief. He ran away. He hasn't been home forever. He's an enemy. But we're to love him. Think about that person in your life, that person in that box that you wrote. They could be an enemy to you. Depending on how, how you created in your head. And we're still told, love them. I could think literally of three or four people in my, in my head right now of people who I feel like have harmed me and sometimes intentionally. Enemies. But yet we're told that we're to love them. Uh, we need God for that. Jesus' commandment, his commandments are quite clear. He, he does not leave for ambiguity. He's, he's not hoping that we can guess it. Showing our love to everyone, including those who hate us, it separates the Christian from the pseudo-Christian, from the fake Christian. I, mean, I literally have been thinking about these things on a daily basis. Do I truly love those people that cause me havoc in my life? What about if they're not seeking forgiveness from me? What about if, if they don't care if they keep hurting me? 
Oh my goodness, those are tough. Those are real life things that we deal with. How do we truly love them? Do they have to ask for forgiveness? It's tough. First thing I see is that we love our neighbor. We love our neighbor. And who's our neighbor? We know this from, from the story. Remember Jesus was talking to the lawyer, responding to them, and, and he told the story of the Good Samaritan, and the priest, and a, after uh, a guy got uh, beaten, uh, he got uh, stolen from, uh, they left him for naked on the ground, and the Levite and the priest came by, and they said, ooh, hey, I can't touch him. He's bleeding. Uh, I, that, that's dirty. I, I'm not going to deal with that. And then a Samaritan came by, and a Samaritan uh, who was gross to the Jews, he, he, not worthy, he said, oh, my goodness, let me help you. And, and, and he took care of his wounds. He, he put him up on his own animal, and he, and he took the animal uh, to the inn. He then had the innkeeper. He paid him and said, here, I think it was two denarii, and he said, take this money, I'll be back, I want you to take care of him, anything that he needs. If, if you need more money when I come back, I want you to make sure he's healed. That's a neighbor who does something for somebody who you don't even know, maybe, and you just take care of it because you see the situation has to happen of grace. That's a neighbor. When Paul was speaking to someone who was even more than a neighbor. See, Philemon knew who Onesimus was. He's more than a neighbor. Because now, Onesimus is a brother. Right? Then that's what he says. Restoration begins when we love our brothers. Mark 3.35. I say this verse all the time. We're all brothers and sisters and mothers in Christ. When we love Jesus Christ and we, we are both serving him... Man, we're brothers now. We're sisters in Christ. But how many times do we see that we don't love our brother or sister in Christ? Look at all the broken churches. We argue heated arguments over crazy things, over the music, over the church service. We argue about uh, what hymnal to use maybe at some churches, what type of chairs are being used, how... how uh, uh, communion's going to happen. And literally churches will break apart from that. Christians, I, I have a great Christian uh, brother who has a business. And he says, almost always he prefers, not to, he prefers to hire non-Christians. Because they will serve and do their work so much better. It, it, it's like when, when we have that kinship. So, ah... They're okay. I don't need to worry about them. They'll love me no matter what. And, and then we, we take that, uh, maybe uh, you see it in blogs. You, you see uh, Focus on the Family will we'll talk about an issue that they're passionate about, and all of a sudden people are, are writing nasty things. I'm a believer, and this is not what you should do. We, we just rip each other down as brothers and sisters instead of lifting each other up. You know, maybe you have a conviction about something. Maybe it's about... Uh, drinking or or going to certain movies or wearing certain clothes or whatever it might be and and, and you take that conviction and you and you just down your brother or sister in christ and say why are you doing this aren't you a believer aren't you trusting in the lord 
we're not encouraging one another. We, we have certain convictions within ourselves. And, and we start making lines. We start drawing lines in the sand that Jesus didn't even draw. That scripture's not even drawn exactly. But we believe that we're right. In this letter, we see that Onesimus, that he was a brother in Christ in Philemon. If Philemon was going to allow the process of restoration between Onesimus and himself, he would need to embrace that his love for him because they were fellow brothers. That was crucial for him to understand. Additionally, Paul reminds us that we need to love our children. We need to love our children. Paul's making a direct appeal to Philemon. He's saying, this is my child. This is my child. Well, he wasn't his, his actual birth child, but he was his spiritual father. He was teaching him and training him on a daily basis. And you know what? Paul's telling his child, hey, you need to go deal with that. This is going to be hard. This is going to be super hard. I will communicate, but you have to go deal with it. We don't do that, do we? Many times we, we, we see it over and over where a parent will not, will not let their kid go through something tough. I've been an administrator and uh, of school, and, and I have people who have come to me many times about their kids. And I remember one instance where a kid had a B-plus on their report card. And mom came to me and asked me to change her grade so she can get an A minus. She didn't care that her kid earned a B plus. She just wanted to go to bat for her kid and get a better grade. I had another, I, I interviewed a, a, a young lady. I think I was an assistant principal at the time. And the young lady uh, inter interviewed for a teaching position. And she was brutal. And just wasn't a good interview at all. And uh, she was late by 20 minutes uh, to the interview, so that wasn't a good sign. And, and her mom called me. And her mom was demanding that I rethink the process of hiring her. What was she doing? I, I explained to her that her daughter was now a grown-up and that she did not, and I would only be speaking to her daughter, not her. You see, we, we sometimes will tell our kids, oh, don't go on that jungle gym. You might fall and break your arm. We're, we're scared for them to take risks. Or, or, or we'll say, uh, I'll order for you at the restaurant. I don't want you to make a mistake, honey. We, we, we don't even want to make small little mistakes because we're scared for them to face the tough things in life. Maybe, maybe you're, you're arguing, uh, you don't want your kid to go to the movies with a group of, of 10 girlfriends. Uh, and, and they're going to go to a fun movie because you're just scared what might happen. And that's all. That, that's tough. That's life. That's, being a parent is hard. Being a parent is hard. What about your 30-year-old who says, hey, I'm going to go to Italy for the summer, and, and this is the right thing for me to do. That's hard to do, just to release them and say, oh, yeah, you're a grown-up. Because we want to give our, we want to chime in with our ideas and our thoughts. But, but sometimes we have to allow them to be put into whatever God has, is calling them to do or whatever they should be doing. Sometimes we need to encourage them in the right direction, just like Paul's doing with Onesimus. 
He's encouraging them. I think you need to go back. In fact, that's the, probably the right thing to do. What do you think, Onesimus? And I'm guessing through the training, he's learning that, that he's learning that is the right thing to do. I need to go back. You see, we want, we, I've said this before, our, our goal for our children and, and Paul's goal for his spiritual child was holiness, not happiness. Our goal is holiness, not happiness. And for our kids, I have got a whole slew of them. Our, our goal is always, and I'm looking at them, is holiness, not happiness. Man, it's so much easier when they're happy, isn't it, though? It's so much easier if we can make them happy. But if we don't help them to be holy and teach them to want to be holy, they'll never be happy when we're speaking of eternity. And before I leave this area of love, neighbors, brothers, children, when was the last time you said those three words? I love you. When was the last time you said those to your mom or dad? Or to your children? Or to your spouse? I assume Bill did. 50 years. When was the last time you said that? How about this one? To your friend? Or to your brother? Man, some people have real trouble saying, I love you. It's hard. I want you to think about that. Think about those three words and think about how to say them. I, I was watching a, a show the other day, Goldbergs. You ever watch that show? And, and all his, the mom asked the husband, go and say, I love you to your daughter. And he went up there and it took him like 10 minutes. He's like, oh, yeah. It's hard for some people. Because you didn't grow up that way. But when you have the love of Jesus Christ, man, share that love. Share that love. Finally, on our process of reconciliation and eventual full restoration, we need to remember to love our Lord. We need to remember to love our Lord. This is absolutely crucial in our process. Because our desire for restoration comes because it's been already demonstrated to us by our Lord and Savior. It's already been demonstrated. We can't forget that Christ is love. It's that vertical relationship that we have with, with our Father that's allowed us to love each other horizontally. Look at the story about how our love uh, for the love for the Lord can be restoration. Remember David and Beth, Bathsheba? <laughs> Bathsheba. I don't know what I was saying there. David committed adultery. He then had men go out, multiple men in this case, and, and be murdered by sending them out. And, and, and he was trying to cover up his sin. And remember Nathan, the prophet, he came to him and said, uh, I know you did this. And he confronted them all about it. Well, David was majorly convicted. And he sought God for love, and he sought God for forgiveness and, and was so sorrowful in his heart. Second Samuel says, Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, The Lord 
also has taken away your sin. You shall not die. You see, restoration was happening right at that point because of his love for the Lord. Paul's trying to, the same thing that Nathan did with David. I'm guessing Paul confronted Onesimus and he challenged him to return and seek for forgiveness. The process of restoration can only happen with that relationship of, of after it's been, you've been forgiven from the Lord. I think if we did a quick fast forward of Onesimus, if we got to see that the, the rest of the story, I think there would have been some bonding that was happening. And maybe the next day or two, there were some deep conversations and, and some cleanup that had to happen. Because when you break a relationship and there's a restoration process, there may be forgiveness that's offered immediately and, and embracing, and maybe the words, I love you, are shared. But then there's the relationship building that happens afterwards, damage control. My brother, when he was in junior high, we went to the same junior high that our kids go to in Millbrook, Illinois. Uh, he went to a friend's house right after school, and they got fooling around, right, they were right by the school, and, and they put up all these pop cans. Some of you have done this too, I've done it myself. And they got a BB gun, they both have BB guns, and they were shooting pop cans with BB guns. We don't have a BB gun. It's probably a good thing, I guess. <laughs> and Reggie, imagine him with that BB gun. So, so my brother's shooting these cans, and, and so is his buddy. And he ends up shooting two windows out at, at, a, at a neighbor's house there. Good aim by him. And, 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 and he was terrified. I remember like it was yesterday, me going with my dad and enjoying my dad and not being happy about it. But my brother went over to the neighbors and he, and he told them what he did. And he apologized. But there's something, and the neighbor accepted the apology, but there was something that came after. Cleaning up the windows and then paying for the new windows. And if I remember right, it was like $58 or something because it was a big deal. My brother ended up having to pay for it. Uh, it was a big deal. Well, that's the same deal with Onesimus. Paul realizes it. He realizes that there is going to be a situation. And even though that the love that Onesimus has for the Lord and the forgiveness that he's been given by the Lord, there's going to be something afterwards. Uh, remember the prodigal son? Remember when he, when he ran out to him and, and he welcomed him home? He put a robe on him and, and he gave a huge feast? And they had, remember they, they had that big party? Day two of that, we never hear, but day two might have been, okay, son, now we're going to go, we're going to move forward. We love you. We've welcomed you home. You're one of us. You're in our family. But we do need to deal with a few things. And so I think that's what we need to do. There's rejoicing in the forgiveness and the restoration, uh, but there's work to do afterwards. Another pattern of restoration is when we acknowledge that people can change. We acknowledge that people can change. Verses 11 and 12, they're great reminders that the fact that people aren't always the same person. First, Paul explains that Onesimus has moved from useful to useless to useful again. The name Onesimus, it was a common name back then. 
In fact, the name Onesimus means useful. And, and I, could, I could imagine Philemon having a conversation with his wife. And, and his wife saying, uh, or Philemon saying, honey, hey, do you know where useful is? And his wife saying, I don't know where he is. He keeps running around doing nothing. Man, he is useless. I could see that conversation happening. Onesimus' parents, they named him useful because, man, our kid, he's going to be so useful to people. He's going to do so much great things. But Paul's telling us in these verses that Onesimus has actually, he, he became useless. He ran off. He was useless to Philemon, but now he's useful again. There, there's a story of a young man. He's from the South, and he married his wife at 16. We just happened to talk about that in the car about Sherry's grandma and grandpa married at that age. And, and this young man, uh, that's just what they did. He, he would, he'd probably call himself a hillbilly. And he didn't know anything about life, really. He lived in a log cabin kind of growing up. They, they ate everything just uh, in, the, in the lake and in the woods and, and did their own in their garden. And, and so he had, had a wife, and they, had, they got pregnant, and they had one boy and ended up having three boys. And Well, in the meantime, somehow he scored a, a football scholarship to a, to a local college. Man, and... And this guy was good. Well, he had never drank in his life, and he got into the party scene. And, and he just, man, he was loving it. He, he, he was so useful to his family at the beginning, but then he got into college just four or five years later. And, and, and he was useless to them because he was with girls. He was taking drugs. He, he was uh, drinking and becoming an alcoholic, completely useless to his family. And there was this one day, this guy came into the bar, and he was carrying a Bible. And, and, and he said, can I share with you something from the Bible? And he just berated him, get out of here! I don't want to talk to you! And he told his wife about it, he's like, what was that guy even thinking? So he continued in his ways. Finally, another year went by, and he got in a huge bar fight. He's got three boys at home. He's sitting at the bars all the time. Got in a huge bar fight, and the law was all over him. And he ran into the woods, and he hid for some time. He finally returned to his home, and he, and he said, Honey, what do you think I should do? And she said, Remember that guy with that Bible? And so he went and he found that guy with the Bible. And the guy with the Bible, he said, do you know what the gospel is? He goes, like that gospel music on the radio? He goes, well, okay. He told them all about that Jesus died and gave his life and, and that he could be forgiven. Really? I've never heard this, ever. So right then... He had his family contact and said he wanted his family to come to the local church. His family walks in, I can imagine, walking back in the doorway. It was mom with three boys. 
and they, they walked in and, and they saw the dad up in the baptistry. And as they walked in, they're standing there, as the story goes, and he says, I want the rest of my life to be lived for Jesus. And he was dunked and pulled up. And right then, his three little boys, who are not that old, were literally jumping up and down around mom in a circle, saying, our daddy loves Jesus. Our daddy loves Jesus. Our daddy loves Jesus. He was useful. He became useless. And then he became useful again. That's Phil Robertson of Duck Dynasty. And, and, and now he has built a legacy of people that are in love with Jesus Christ and don't care to apologize about it. You see, we, we can't be in this life and, and, and not think that people can change. Because we can. In fact, we do every single day. And Paul, Paul of all people, he understood this, right? In a split second, his entire life, his entire direction changed. In a split second, the Holy Spirit literally can change someone's life. It's a good reminder. Maybe you have a, maybe you have a kid, parents. Maybe you have a kid who's just not going in the right direction. Maybe they've even left your home, and you know that all they're doing is sitting at bars, sitting, going to parties, hanging out with the wrong people, maybe doing drugs. Maybe they've had an abortion. There's a lot of stuff that they could have done or, or whatever. Maybe you haven't even heard from them for years. But God can change them in a split second. Don't give up on them. And when they, when, when, if, if they call you, you run out to them with a, with a robe to put around them. And love them like crazy. Because they can change. And they can, be, they can go from useless to useful. One of the major causes of this change is because people are under different influences. Onesimus has been being trained and guided by Paul now. Onesimus is, isn't sitting in the, with his buddies and messing around and, and causing foolishness. He's not out living his life and that will guide him towards destruction. No, he is being, re, Paul's, what Paul's trying to do is he's trying to remind Philemon, that, hey, 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 Onesimus is under my tutelage now. I'm teaching him. I'm training him on a daily basis. And I'll tell you what, he's doing great stuff. Because sometimes, sometimes people are under influences that are actually having them harm us or affect us. I, I, it, it could be an organization they're even with. And all of a sudden, you just immediately assume that they're horrible people. And, and that's how they're, they're treated. Sometimes they're under an influence of a friend or, or, or a group of people, and, and we have to, to stop and think, I wonder what's happening. Remember last week I, I, I said our default has to be forgiveness? Our default reaction to people has to be forgiveness. I've literally thought about that probably seven times this week. 
of something that someone did to me or said to me, I just assume, I have to come to an assumption that they don't understand that they're hurting me. I'm not making excuses for them, but in a way I am because of my love for Jesus Christ. And, and, and I think, you know, when you look at somebody like a Phil Robertson, you, you think of his influences were all of his buddies on the college football team. That's how it all started. And there was an influence, and his wife knew that. And she didn't know how to get him out of that, except for she just, she just loved the Lord and just kept praying to him. And sometimes people are under influences, uh, whatever it might be. It could be just havoc in their own life, stress in their own life, and they shout at us. You've, you've seen that many times. Someone is, maybe you've done it. Maybe you're just stressed about something and you jump on somebody else. Go back to that person and just restore that situation. Influences change and people change, right? Thirdly, we need to advocate for reconciliation. And Paul knows this all too well. Staying, staying a part of a situ, away from a situation, keeping your distance away from a situation, uh, will never create reconciliation. When he first, remember when he first uh, came to the Lord, people were scared of him because, whoa, hey, why, why, why are you here? I, I, I don't, <laughs> I don't want you here because he was going to kill them or or persecute them in some way, and and he had to just spend time with people and go to them. Sometimes writing a letter to them, he had to develop those uh, relationships again. He had to prove. That that's what he was doing, and that's what Paul's doing. He's sending Onesimus back to Philemon to, to come together. And he wants them to come together rather than avoid one another. How many times do we do this? You see somebody in the grocery store? You're walking, ooh, you back up and you go down a different aisle. Uh, <laughs> maybe maybe uh, you see somebody walking by your house. And it's this neighbor that, oh, just constantly annoys you. And, oh, let me uh, work in the garden. And you, you find something else to do. You ignore them. You, you, you kind of run away from them. How about uh, you have that family gathering? Uh, and that Uncle Bob. Sorry if you're an Uncle Bob. Uncle Bob always causes so much havoc. I'm just not going to the family events anymore. I'm not doing it. You don't get into it. You don't lean into it. We don't... We, we're, we avoid, we hide, we make excuses. And the situation is probably only going to get worse if you don't address it. When you don't address something, it just simmers and starts boiling more and more and more until there's almost nothing. Sometimes we do that uh, at, for church or at the gym or, or at a meeting. We, we don't go one week and and then okay maybe we'll go next week and then we don't go next week okay well now all of a sudden your your mind starts playing tricks on you and you start saying oh i, I don't know what's going on there people are probably talking bad about me you start playing games with yourself and, and you, then you don't go if you just lean into the situation then you then you and be confident that god is, is dealing with the situation, whatever it might be, things will be fine. But when we pull away, uh, we, we create uh, this chasm that makes it tough. 
Reconciliation, it's, it's a great thing. We also see that, that we should counsel others to reconnect. We should counsel others to reconnect. Paul's directing Onesimus to reconnect with his brother in Christ, Philemon. He's telling him not to stay in Rome, but go home. Go home to Philemon and deal with this. And you know what? I'm counseling, counseling you right now. I'm counseling myself. That box, those names, we need to deal with them. One at a time, multiple at a time, whatever it might be. You need to deal with those things. Because if we don't, it's going to be a tough life. William Barclay, a theologian, once said, Christianity is, not out of, Christianity is not out to help a man escape his past and to run away from it. It is out to enable a man to face his past and to rise above it. We don't want to hide from the things that happened in the past. We want to dig in, deal with it, and move forward so we can rise above it. Face the past, reconnect with those neighbors, reconnect with those brothers, those children, because of your love of Jesus Christ and because he's living inside of you. Finally, finally, we need to affirm the sovereignty of God. You know, there's a reason for the valley. There is a reason for that valley. Romans 8.28. Anyone know Romans 8.28? That wants to shout it out? Beautiful. All things work according what what God wants when we love him and what we care about him. Sherry and I have said this for years, this verse, over and over about different things. I remember we had a car breakdown. I mean, I remember it like it was the other day. Maybe you don't remember it, but we had a car breakdown. We literally had not a cent, and we had no idea what we were going to do, and we went to Romans 8.28. And I don't, I don't remember what the outcome is, but sometimes we're, we're able to look back. Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Proverbs 3, 5, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding. God has a plan. You lost a job and you have no idea why? God has a plan. You're in a job and it's horrible? God has a plan. You were given the diagnosis of cancer? God has a plan. You were given a clean bill of health. God has a plan. You see, no matter the good, the bad, or the ugly, we have to understand that God is sovereign. God is sovereign. I ask that myself all the time. How am I going to remember this? Why, why, why is my God taking me? Why is my God allowing me and my family to go through this situation? Sometimes if I look back, I, I, I move into the future, and, and then I look back, and like, oh, that's why it was. That, that's why it happened. You see, we're, we're, we, we don't know and understand that the God of the universe, that he cares about us individually and how he cares about us so much. We, we just can't see the entire picture. In fact, look at this picture. What do you think this picture is? Looking for a hand, somebody to tell me. Or shout it out. Anything. Give me an idea. What do you think it is? What? Okay. 
What? Penicillin, okay. Allie, you have any idea? Let's go to the next picture. It's dental floss. Use dental floss. You see, we're, we're looking so much at the little tiny things in our life that we don't see the big picture. Let's go to the next one. Let's go to the next picture. Salt and pepper. Alice is a genius. That's why 50 years. Married to a genius. Salt and pepper. So when we see that, we look at finite, we, we have a trouble because we don't see the whole picture of, of what's happening. Because we're so zoomed in into that little tiny timeline that we call life that we don't see that whole picture. Oh, believe it, I'm preaching it to myself right now. We are looking at a small time in eternity. Uh, uh, Francis Chan, maybe you've seen this, he had a, I don't know, it was a 300-foot rope, and he had it going all through an auditorium that he was at, this rope. And, and, and he got up here, and the rope was still going, and, and, and he held it up, and it was kind of like, kind of like this. And, and right on the very tip of it, he had this little tiny black spot on the top of the rope. And he said, this tiny black spot represents the time that I'm going to live on the earth. And the rest of this rope, that you can't even see the end of it, is all the rest of the time in eternity. We don't have the whole picture. And we, don't, we have to understand that the sovereignty of God is awesome. Is awesome. We don't know why God does things. Our children are classic for this with us as parents, right? We see a much bigger picture. We have so much more wisdom than them. I mean, we really do in, in, in so many things because we've lived through them. We've stolen pumpkins. We know the havoc that could have come from something like that. The foolishness that we've already lived through, we're trying to keep them from because we're trying to teach and train them. But they don't understand that because they don't have the whole picture. They see just their little life. But we see it much bigger, and we see the outcomes of it. Well, that's us. We're the children. And our Lord sees so much bigger. And sometimes we have to be put through a little bit of pain in order to understand that. The second way in which we need to affirm the sovereignty of God is by focusing on the victory of the cross. Focus on the victory of the cross. Paul Paul said it in Galatians 2, I am crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life I live in the flesh, I live through faith in the Son of God who loved me and died for me. He gave his life. He knows, and he's always focused back on the victory that was had on the cross. Christ gave himself, gave himself up for me. He gave himself up for you as an individual. And there's always great victory in our own lives when we point back at the victory that was had on the cross. And are you doing that? Are you doing that on a daily basis? Paul, he's reminding Philemon to remember that Onesimus is a brother now because only because of what Jesus did. 
only because of who Jesus is. How are we remembering to do this? This is super hard. Plain and simple, it's super hard to remember to be focused on the victory of the cross. We have to walk in prayer. Not, not, not saying that in a cliche way. We really have to be reminding each other. We, ha we have to be lifting each other up. If you're married, great opportunity for you and your spouse to be talking about those things. With your children, talk about them. They'll remind yourself. Whatever. Seek God and, and, and continuously focus on the empty cross. Focus on the empty tomb. Remember the victorious words that Jesus said on the cross. It is finished. It is finished. And it's finished in our lives. All these tough things that are happening because we've got victory. And we don't have to be sad and, 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 and uh, pout about a situation. Let's go to the victory of the cross. It is finished. God's already taken care of it. <laughs> Paul knows that as a fact, doesn't he? Paul knows it absolutely, and he knows that Philemon knows it too. And there's no reason that Philemon shouldn't open his arms and put, put a robe around Onesimus as he comes home because they all love Jesus Christ, and there's restoration. Finally, we're running low on time. We need to be putting value in the relationship. You see, Paul's explaining Onesimus. He's explaining Onesimus that it's, that. Onesimus is more of a brother to Philemon than he is to Paul. Even though Paul, he's, he's, his spiritual father, Paul is, is Onesimus' spiritual father. He's more of a brother to Philemon. They're kin. They've done life together. Think about those people in that box. Think about the things that you've done in your life together. Maybe you haven't done a lot, but think about reconciling those. In closing... I want to remind you that none of this is possible. Absolutely none of it's possible without the love of Jesus Christ. Can you reconcile a relationship without trusting in Jesus Christ? I think so. Can you have a fight and come back together without giving your life to Jesus Christ? I, th I think so. If you want full restoration, restoration in a relationship and you want to seek true forgiveness, it only comes by the example of our Lord and Savior. That's the only way for true restoration, true forgiveness to happen. We can't fulfill our needs horizontally. Third time I've said it, trying to make it stick. We can't fulfill our needs. If Tom and I are having an issue, we can't fulfill our needs horizontally unless I go vertically from God down to me. Maybe Tom, in that case, would have needed to do the same thing. But I need to get right with God so I can horizontally deal with it. We love only because God showed us love. We forgive only because Jesus forgave us. So I want you to think about your box this week. I want you to reflect on those people and maybe start a process of restoration. And I want you to talk about saying the words, I love you. And always, always remember the victory of the cross.